morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author from My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Here's a quick announcement. Our December heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. December's theme is a holiday celebration of joy and happiness. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Marlene Rutledge Buchanan. Marlene lives enthusiastically as a woman, wife, mother, teacher, and writer. She's quick to say that she planned to marry someone old and rich, but only got old. However, on her first date with Snell, her husband, Marlene, knew he was the one for her. To the point, she proposed. After his refusal, she considered getting him pregnant. They are parents to a beautiful olive-skinned son, James, who suffered a lack of oxygen during delivery, resulting in him having special needs. She refers to James' condition as a special gift. After 34 years of being in public education, Marlene retires in 2007. In the classroom, she earned the name Miss Rat, garnering her a collection of rat figurines and collectibles all the years from her students. As a Southern humorist, Marlene has entertained readers with her observations about life through her column, Hey Y'all, published in the Gwinnett Citizen in Georgia since 2015. As an author, her first book, the award-winning Life is Hot, Soften It with Laughter, is designed to look at life and find a giggle. As a matter of fact, don't stop at a giggle. Let's laugh out loud at some of life's misadventures and mishaps. Life is hot, so we need to do whatever we can to make it softer. Marlene is also one of our featured contributors for our Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine. Her column, Anything Goes with Mama Marlene, offers a wonderful take on living through Southern humor. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her December story titled, Remembering the Holidays. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Marlene and I will be talking about her remarkable life's journey and about life, love, and laughter, the essence of Joyful Living 360. Good morning, Marlene. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Thank you, Johnny. I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here. I can't stand it. <laughs> Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me. By the way, the number one question we all have is, did you make it onto Santa's list this year? Well, if you don't go back very far, I might have got onto Santa's list. <laughs> You know, the the last week or two, if we can count that, I'm pretty good. Now, All if we go right. back, back in the, we might not, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> you got to remember, I, think I went I'm to like high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went to high school with Santa. I have enough dirt on uh, him, he won't forget me. <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations, then you made it on Santa's list. So let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And I do have to let you know that we do have the whole hour. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I I can probably, you know, talk for the whole hour without thinking too much about it. Might not say anything worth listening to, but I can talk. But um, I'm, I'm an only child. My father was an Atlanta police officer and was the second school detective in the United States, well, in the whole world, when they developed what is now known as the school resource officer. They called them school detectives with the Atlanta Board of Education and the Atlanta Police Department. My mother grew up on a farm in South Georgia, and they lost 
everything in the Depression. And so she learned she could plow, she could harvest cotton, whatever needed to be done. She learned to do it and did it. She came to Atlanta when she was 18 years old and started working down at the old produce market in Atlanta. So, you know, life was really hard for Mama. And um, she and Daddy met when they were both working for White Provision Company, which was a meatpacking company. Like, it mm-hmm. eventually became Swift um, mm-hmm. and Company. My daddy worked on the killing floor, and um, my mama was the accountant who would go down to the killing floor and count heads of whatever it was they were processing. So mm-hmm. um, they were introduced on a blind date. Mama said that when she looked up, Daddy was over 6'4", and he's olive complexion, blue-black hair, and he was wearing a white suit with a black shirt, and he had a black sling because he'd injured his arm. And she said he was the prettiest thing she'd ever seen. She just (laughs) decided she'd just have to have him. So they were together for many, many years before he died. Um, World War II separated them. And Daddy never forgave World War II for that. <laughs> but I I, um, I wanted to go into fashion work. And at the time I graduated high school, you know, electricity had just come on the market. Um, Mom and Daddy said, you cannot go to New York and live. And at that time there was only one school, Parsons School of Design or Toby Coburn. And Toby Coburn is the one I wanted so I became an art teacher, and there I, there I worked for a number of years before I went into guidance and counseling, and I specialized with high-risk students, um, those that had the least amount of success in their, in their lives. So it was, um, it was a wonderful experience. I, I got to know a lot of really amazing people through the years. Wonderful. That's really awesome. That's really very exciting for you. Who were the main influences in your life when you were growing up? Probably Mama and Daddy, because I was an only child, and Mm -hmm. I I had a best friend. I called her Pickle. Her real name is Dorothy, but somehow Pickle just fit. Um, (laughs) And and we grew up together more like sisters, but... Mm -hmm. I would go to work with Daddy, and uh, when I got older, I started typing police reports. And when they needed a female to transport uh, a female prisoner, I just got in the car and rode with them. Um, I didn't think anything about sitting in the courtroom or whatever needed to be done. So that's kind of how I ended up, I think, writing Cozy Mystery and and, uh, (laughs) police procedurals, too. I, I like blood and guts. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. I know you mentioned a little bit about going into arts because you enjoy the design and so forth. Mm-hmm. Pursuing a teaching career is a totally off in a tangent in a way because you wanted to be in fashion. So how did that happen? Well, I had an amazing art teacher in high school. And when Mama and Daddy told me that I could not go to New York and study, um, you got to remember, I was an only child. I was a very mm-hmm. protected right, child, right. too. And um, my art teacher told me I, I, would, I was her aide, and I worked with some of the students. She said, you really ought to pick up teaching art. And so Mama and Daddy were all for that, so that's, that's how I ended up in that direction. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Those were probably some of the very best years of my educational career. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, I was there, I was at one school for six years, almost seven mm-hmm. years. And so I, and I was single, so I dated all the kids' older brothers. So I got to know a lot of the family, so it was wonderful, you know. (laughs) Very exciting. That's very, very interesting. Now, do you find yourself, because art is sort of, you're continuously learning. As a matter of fact, in life, we are always a student, right? That is correct. 
especially in the field of arts, do you find that you're a better student in a way when you were a teacher? Well, I was because I was always searching for things that would engage the students. Mm -hmm. um, I, I taught an art history class, but you can only stand there and you know and say, "Look, this is Raphael," or "This is <laughs> you know Donna." They are not going to be engaged. Right. So I was always looking for things, and and also um, this was a very, this was a pretty rural school at mm -hmm. the time, and. Um, I had every level from the valedictorian to the severely behavioral disordered students mixed mm -hmm. in my classes. Mm -hmm. And I, for for one year, I took my art aide, her name was Gretchen, and she and I taught one student how to read. That's what mm -hmm. we did. She worked with him every day because he couldn't read and he wasn't being successful anywhere. So his name was Ronald, and he mastered reading to about a third or fourth grade level in that year with us. And um, we, I was so proud of that boy. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we, you, do, you do a little bit of everything. I, um, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I was an art teacher, so I would spend every afternoon uh, during the semester that we, we did ceramics, clay work, going through and pulling out all of the clay penises that the kids made, throwing them back into the barrel to be reconstituted, only to do the same thing again the next day. You know, they're kids. Yeah. I think that is really interesting. You know, oh, well. But um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of different kinds of things, and I think the kids enjoyed it, and they would come in with ideas, too. So mm -hmm. um, the they, my classes were small compared to what some of the classes were. I might have, you know, 20 students, whereas another class might have 30. And so I could mm. do a little bit more, and I could sit down at the table and talk to those kids and get to know them really well. Right, so, right. You know, right. It, it, was, um, it was a different world. We We were encouraged to not be on the same page as every other teacher, but to be interactive with our children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it was wonderful. And I do kind of miss that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't do much with art now, although I, my son, like you said, has special needs. And he's very artistic. So I do mm -hmm. some things with him, too. And he's a glass blower. And, mm -hmm. um, he, yeah, he works for the school system in the cafeteria. But his hobby is glass blowing, and he does beautiful work. Very talented young man. Yeah, that's awesome. That's truly awesome. When you look back, I mean, I'm sure there's some really wonderful memories and so forth. What were the greatest memories for you as a teacher? Probably when Ronald came in one day, and he brought a book with him, and he sat down and he said, can I read this to you? And he did. So that that was a truly wonderful thing. There were a lot of students over the years that have meant so much to me. Um, I have unfortunately lost two in the last two months to mm -hmm. heart problems. And, um, and both young men, but anyway, mm -hmm. people that I had stayed in touch with and the the kids still keep in touch with me, and I know they're not kids. I mean, they're in their 50s and 60s <laughs> now. So I went to the 50th high school reunion of my uh -huh. first graduating class, and mm -hmm. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, how did they get to be so old? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. Think about how old I am. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I remember my first day on the job. Uh -huh. um, I, w I taught at Roosevelt High School, which was the city of Atlanta school. Uh -huh. And I was teaching in the summer program with the idea that if the, the art teacher didn't come back, I would just stay on and take that job. Um, unfortunately, she decided at the last minute she would return. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But I wrote my name up on the board, Marlene Ratledge, and then underneath it I wrote what I was teaching. You know, first first mm-hmm. period was going to be drawing and, and color designs and, and things like that. And this little arm goes up in the back of the room, and and I said, yes, sir, what can I do for you? We, first of all, you never ask a teenage boy what you can do for them. <laughs> but he said, um, you any kin to that policeman, Mr. Ratledge? And being the proud person that I was, I said, why, yes, that's my dad. He arrested me. My daddy had arrested 12 of my students. So I never had any trouble at that school. But, there um, you go. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and the kids got used to it. There, I had an office. I was the only classroom on the third floor. Uh-huh. And there was an office up there with a telephone in. It was nothing for them to, to look up and see a uniform police officer walk in the room or one of the detectives walk in and say, keys. And I just throw them the keys. They go in my office and use the phone. So, mm-hmm. you know, the kids all got used to having a police presence on the second <laughs> floor. <laughs> but then I went to Duluth High School, which, like I say, was more of a rural school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in a different county. And I wrote my name up on the board. And um, this little voice in the back of the room said, how do you say your name? And I said, Ratledge. And he mm-hmm. said, that's too hard. I think I'll call you Art Woman. So <laughs> then, then a little bit later, again, the name on the board, what I was going to teach, this, this boy said, how do you say your name? I said, <laughs> Ratledge. No, nah, we're just going to call you Miss Rat. So all those years, and, and here it is, 51 years after that, that first uh. year, I still will go places and hear somebody yell, Hey, Miss Rat! (laughs) 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 Art woman! (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. That's very nice. Well, you had mentioned about the fact that the environment is totally different back then, say, versus now, I would presume. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Also, the connection and the respect, I think, the teachers get is much different as well. I, I'm sorry to say, Johnny, I have to agree with you. There is not the support mm-hmm. or the respect from students and parents mm-hmm. for teachers that we had way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that if a teacher called you and wanted to talk to you about your child's behavior, yeah, yeah, your the parents would listen and they would try to help in yeah making changes. Now it's the teacher's fault. Right, right, so right. I remember when I was going to school, never go home and tell mom that your teacher disciplined you. You get disciplined twice because you deserve it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. not like, wait, let me get a hold of my handbag. Yeah, let me go to school and let's see what we can do here and sue somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you that's the funny thing. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really funny because there's respect in a way. And then again, in all honesty, it's both sides of the equation. The mm-hmm. teachers at the time, even though, and this is funny because people talk about amount teachers make and all this kind of thing, they have never made a lot of money. But no, they haven't. The title of being a teacher that's powerful, that command mm-hmm. respect, and not only that, it's like a badge of honor. So the teachers yes, are truly who they are. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, it's like you pledge mm-hmm. the legion kind of thing. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And they were involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, they were welcomed to be involved in the community. Right, right, right. And, right. and I don't see that as much now. Of course, yeah. you know, I've been retired from public school yeah. um, for a while, but I still go in. I, I Because of James's um, disabilities and stuff, sure. I, I did a lot of research, and I wrote a book for helping people of all ages to mm-hmm. learn and remember things more more easily. And yeah. I still go in, and I will 
do programs in classrooms and stuff, and mm-hmm. and it is a different world. And I'll tell yeah. you something else. Teachers don't dress to be respected like mm-hmm. they used to either. And that mm-hmm. that's something that I just can't go along with. I I guess I really am an old fuddy-duddy because <laughs> I think you you dress for the position you want to be right. seen in and, and right. you behave in that way. And it goes both ways too, though. I remember, of course, here has always been, technically speaking, and I say this with full respect, not knowing the whole package, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in public schools in Asia, we all wear uniforms. Yes. I wish and, we and did so, that more here. Yeah, and so it's very disciplined. I think here, private school, I guess you wear uniform, but public schools, you don't. And mm-hmm. so that kind of leveled the playing field, to be honest with you. Yes. What's interesting as a child, and we're talking about more from the student's standpoint of view, because then no matter you come from whatever social economic background, mm-hmm. everybody looks the same. Exactly. Exactly. It levels. And the I do field. think that that when you're when you are dressed for business, mm-hmm. your mind goes, Let's do business. Right, right, right. And right. and you know, and well, they didn't have telephones and all the electronic <laughs> stuff when I was teaching, but I think that, right, that too right. is a factor. So right. yeah. Yeah, it's very of, subtle. Yeah, it's very subtle, yeah. and you're right. It's impacting in so many ways. But I remember that. What was interesting, like I say again, because when you're in the school, when everybody looks the same, for lack of a better term, in terms of mm-hmm, uniform-wise, mm-hmm. right? Well, guess mm-hmm. what? The game-changer is how smart you are or how into you are in a specific subject. Exactly. has got nothing to do with uh, you whether look? you come from a $100,000 home or a million-dollar home or a $50,000 home. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's very, very different from that perspective. Anyway, coming back to you, mm-hmm. did you bring your teaching habits and mannerism home with you every day? <laughs> I, I don't. I, you know, I don't think. I don't think I could have ever isolated work from home. <laughs> I, it just, you know, teaching was what I was. You know, that's and. My involvement with those kids, I would talk about them when I would come up. Of course, my husband was in the same field, so mm-hmm, we we mm-hmm. would compare a lot of different things. And we we always had a funny story about something that uh, that a student did. Plus, right. we had James, who was um, he's he's really an enigma. He can read on the college level. His math mm-hmm. level is like you know, second grade, mm-hmm. if he could have gotten a regular diploma, he would have been able to have taken the test for a licensed practical nurse because he took all oh. those courses. Right, right, plus, right. Yeah, plus during the summers, he went to Bush Gardens and worked down there. They put him in the college-level vet tech programs because he knew all of that information. Ah. He was extremely knowledgeable and, yeah. you know, I think I've told you the story about the white tigers. He mm-hmm. sat down mm-hmm. to work one day, and the two tigers that were in the pen, they would move animals back so they would get them out of the public and put different ones up in the public so that they had a respite. And um, these two white tigers were in the pen next to James, and I don't even know what he was doing, but he picked up his chair and his table, and he moved over there next to him and was talking to him and scratching him through the fence. And They were rolling over on the back, and he's putting his arm through the fence and scratching him on the stomach and talking to him. And if anybody walked up toward him, they would stand up and growl at whoever was coming toward them. As soon as they backed off, they laid back down against the fence for change. <laughs> so, you know, he has an affinity. And I, I honestly believe if James had not been injured during the birthing process, mm-hmm. he would have gone into veterinarian science, either mm-hmm. in um, birds or in right. large animals, um, exotic animals. Because, right. he, you know, they they would call us from Bush Garden and say, you can't believe what your son did today. You can't, wow. you know, um, there was there was a cat that had just given birth, and the baby, it was a, oh gosh, it's a, it's a very rare, small 
Wildcat, right. sort of like an ocelot, but it's something else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it had given birth, and it was having trouble nursing. And James was standing there, and they handed him the baby with a, a little tiny baby bottle. And he was feeding the baby, and the mother cat came up and laid up against James, up against the table. And so James took and laid the baby down next to the nipple of the mother cat with mm-hmm. the baby bottle so that he he was trying to be as close to nursing as the baby could be. And uh, they and they called us that night and said, you're not going to believe what he did. Well, and then <laughs> the mother cat was like, oh, she put her hand, her paw on James's hand while he was doing that. And then she started trying to to press against her her breast to make the mm. milk flow, and it started. So you know, the, we have a very unusual and very talented and a very handsome boy. He looks like my daddy with that blue black hair <laughs> and all his skin. People used to come up to us and say, "Oh, did you adopt a baby?" Uh, no. <laughs> Is this your grandchild? No, we were just old and fossilized when he was born. <laughs> oh, no, you should Lord, brag Lord. and say, hey, that's what you get from me. Got it? There you go. <laughs> oh, but, but because of him, I, like yeah. I say, I brought work home. So did Snell. We, Whereas other children were in T-ball, our son was in um, occupational or physical therapy or speech therapy or whatever. And mm-hmm. and whatever he did, we continued on, and we took every class that we could find. We read every book that we could find that would make James have the best possible life. So, very interesting, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very, very interesting. Well, one of the things also, and I say this respectfully, it's funny because I know, like you say, James had challenges when he was growing up and so forth. But the funny thing about it, though, I find that over the years as I've run into people, and you find that to us, their challenges, to them, it's not in a way because that enhances their other, for lack of a better term, senses, if that makes sense. Yeah. In this case, James is natural at connecting with animals. And the animals know that. The animals mm-hmm. like, you, Molly? Nah, let me go to James. <laughs> <laughs> you have that exactly right. <laughs> you have that. They they do sense things. And and James, because he's, he's weak in some areas, has his mm-hmm. strengths in others. And um, like I say, he blows glass as a hobby and... and mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. glass sculpturing, and right now he's he's creating foxes and and different mm-hmm. things out of glass, and mm-hmm. we're just well, I, you know, there there was no chance that he could have a sibling, um, yeah. so it it he doesn't have a lot of friends his own mm-hmm. age, mm-hmm. but what he does have is a lot of adults that he relates well to, and that they look after him. So we we are very blessed. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. What were some of the greatest mommy moments in your life? Well, we were coming home. James had been in, in, I don't remember now, speech and physical therapy or occupational Mm -hmm. therapy. Anyway, we did two classes. We... He he had classes two or three nights a week after school, well, or during the day before he started school. And one night we were almost home, and he said, I've got Bert and Ernie at home. And that was his first complete sentence. Wow. And it was like, Snell almost drove off the side of the road. It was just, even today, I I cry when I think about what he went through and and the involvement of other people in his life. Mm -hmm. And when I think of that sentence, I've got Bert and Ernie at home, what a milestone that was. 
<laughs> and you know what? We've still got Bert and Ernie upstairs on one of the beds. So uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um but there were there were other things and like I say, when we would get calls from people that would say, You can't believe what your son did and he's he just started this month nineteen years working with the school system. He works in the food service center mm-hmm. of an elementary school and they had a little Christmas party and it's James and eleven women in that in that cafeteria and almost every one of them came up and told me something that he had done that had been something he didn't have to do to help them or a kindness that he had shown or or something like that. And that is just wonderful knowing that his life impacts other people in a positive way. Right, right, right. That's beautiful. That really is. How did you balance the teaching and the mummy role? (laughs) Well... I, you know, I was fortunate. James went to my my parents' home. Um, I I would drop him off on my way over to school and then pick him up on the way home. And they were very involved with him. And um, we did we didn't really ever talk baby talk much. Um, they watched educational programs. Um, my Daddy would sit and tell him stories, and because of the the hypotonic, the fine motor things, um, Daddy would build him manipulatives. He had a Noah's Ark with all the animals, and so they mm. designed, they painted. They James, poor Daddy, he had a, a big wooden <laughs> stand that had a, a particular saw mounted to it. And there, there must have been five thousand nails in that thing, <laughs> and, and probably that many holes too from a, a handheld drill bit. But those were fine motor skills that James needed. So Daddy would let him hammer into that board or drill holes <laughs> in that board. So we were very fortunate that we that we had my parents. He was so close to him and so helpful. My husband's mother was very disabled with arthritis, and so um, she couldn't really do a lot with mm-hmm. him except just talk and read and visit. But we just we just did what needed to be done. If it meant, you know, getting off work at three o'clock and mm-hmm. and going to the physical therapist, that's what we did. And we stopped. We we knew every waitress between here and the physical therapist's office because we would stop on the way home. <laughs> and, you know, on Tuesday nights we ate here. On Wednesday nights we ate there. On Thursday nights we ate there. And they all knew us, and they all knew James, and they all talked to him like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was a, a young person, not a baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, so we... You just you do what you need to do, and you think to yourself, "Wow, I would really like to go off and and do this, that, and the other," but he comes first. Right, right, right. So, so true. You know, we had we had been married seven years, and mm-hmm. I was told that I would probably never never carry a baby to full term. Mm-hmm. So we didn't expect to ever have a young. Yeah. And yeah. um. One day, Snell said, do you think you could be pregnant? Because I'd been sick. <laughs> well, you know, every teacher, you, you, you're sick yeah. the first term anyway. Um, and I I said, no. So a little bit later, he said, why don't you call the doctor and, you know, and just get, yeah. well, honey, when they said congratulations, it's positive, I like to fell out on the floor. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the person that was telling it was one of my former students, and she said, Miss mm-hmm, mm-hmm. B, Miss B. And I'm going, yeah, <laughs> Tiffany. She said, are you all right? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and I just walked out of the bed. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we did. We made it, and and he was three weeks late, and mm-hmm. then had we had a. I went into labor on Sunday night, and and for whatever reasons, mm. um, dilation would stop, and, and he was born Wednesday morning, mm-hmm. and only then. I saw that he was in fetal distress because I was reading the monitors. Uh, and um, I'm, I called for help. 21 babies were born in those three days that we were in the Oh, hospital. wow. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was, if we could have had a cesarean, you know, maybe the day before. Yeah, yeah. All of this might have been avoided, but it wasn't. And like I say, we look at him as a special gift, and because of... The, the difference in his life and others, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we've probably impacted more children and adults who have special needs than many parents would. Precisely. And I'm glad you brought that up because, again, like I said, there is a sort of a, a mission for each of us to mm-hmm. contribute to humanity. And in this case, it's perfectly unfolding right in front of you. Yes. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. So when did writing come into the picture? You know, I'd always been kind of a story Uh maker-upper. And um, the formal thing happened when um, AOL used to have a a program called Patch. Well, it still does. But Mm -hmm. anyway, it's for basic communities. And there was something about the school board being bannered around with the editor and stuff. So I wrote a letter back explaining my position as having been in that field and with those experiences and kind of clarifying some of the things that were said in the letter to the editor and the response mm-hmm. that that weren't exactly accurate. So mm-hmm. um, the woman that was the editor of Patch contacted me and she said, would you write for us? And I said, as what? And she said, oh, you know, go to the farmer's market, interview people, just <laughs> write whatever comes up in your mind, that kind of thing. And I said, well, yeah, I guess I can. And she said, and we'll pay you. And I went, oh, now there's an interesting concept. <laughs> so, um, and then I, that's when I started doing that. And then the patch changed its format. And when it changed, there wasn't really a position for me in what I was writing, which was little funny stories and interviews about people doing strange things. And a friend of mine had written a book called Blood in the Soil, which was about the um, shooting of um, Larry Flint, Hustler Magazine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I went to... Carolyn's um, book launch. It was held at the big community um, county seat, the, the antique building. And there, the the daughter of the surgeon that saved Larry Flint's life mm-hmm. owned the Gwinnett Citizen. And she came over and she said, your husband taught me in school. And we got into a conversation, and she said, I want you to start writing for me. She said, I don't care what you write, just whatever (laughs) you want. And that's when the funny stories started happening. Because, Mm. as you said earlier, life is hard, and you can soften it with laughter. And that's kind of my philosophy. Um, You can lay down and rot and be the, (laughs) you know, gloom and doom. Or you can right. say, well, dang it all, let's just find a little bit of humor in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do? I, you know, I, I laugh now that I fell a few months ago and really messed up my face badly, and I broke my eyebrow bone mm-hmm. on the left side. Well, I used to control classrooms of children just by the look raising that one eyebrow. Well, now, in order for me to do it, I have to take my index finger and push that eyebrow up. It loses something in communication, you know? Uh, it's like, yeah, what 
is she doing over there? This is a Fruit Loop. And whereas before, I had power. Right. One eyebrow, power. So, you know, what are you going to do? I have a broken eyebrow bone that has given me a a dent in my eyebrow and and a knot on my head. You can either sit there and whine about it or you can just say, well, Here's a funny mm-hmm. thing that's happened with it. Right, right. That's interesting, though. That's very true because we take things for granted Yeah. with our lives and the way we do things sometimes. It's only mm-hmm. when something happened that sort of, it's like playing chess. All of a sudden, oh, I got checked right here. What mm-hmm. do I do? Where do I know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that makes a big difference. So mm-hmm. how did writing contribute to your happiness? Well, I guess it let me explore different things and mm-hmm. and put into where other people maybe I'm peculiar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I see things maybe a little differently than some people. But yeah. I, I um I just after after Aved asked me to write for Gwinnett Citizen, the mm-hmm. first book became a um a compilation of a lot of my essays plus short stories that I threw in there that are mm-hmm. all based on the foibles of life. And um it just it just evolved kind of as a natural thing. Um last year I'm I'm a member of a group called the Southeastern Writers Association mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they have contests every year and I'm also president of the um Sisters in Crime, the local organization here. And I I was at a meeting and somebody said something about, you know, how what's a good way to kill somebody and, and you know, hide the body? And I went, oh, I can tell you. An autopsy can't. You know, and they went, okay. And I said, really and truly, look it up. The autopsy cannot determine the cause of death. <laughs> you know, so I would tell you, but then, you know, I might have to kill you. But um, And I also told them how they could dispose of the body rapidly. Uh-huh. But um, she, this woman said, well, you can talk blood and guts, but you can't write it. Oh, and I thought, wow. don't challenge me. You don't know me. <laughs> I've been writing police reports since I was 14 years old. You know, I, I, you know, yeah, I know all about this. So I wrote a blood and gut story, and Mm -hmm. when they announced that I had won the contest at Southeastern Writers, one of the readers was a a retired police detective. Mm -hmm. One of the other readers was a retired FBI agent, and they looked at me and they said, "You wrote this," and I went, "Uh huh." So I don't know. It's just a natural outflowing to to tell right. stories and to have people share things with me. Right, right, right. So that's you know. beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank but you. One of the things also that I see, Marlene, is this: you didn't think about it, right? But when you were young, you were exposed to all that stuff. Writing the police oh, yeah. report, the technical mm-hmm. aspects of the equation. I hope that makes sense. What I'm saying. And now, and now, pressed to the situation all of a sudden right now, it's like it's almost like an old computer or a computer chip in our <laughs> brain that we start downloading. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Somewhere in the back of my mind are all mm-hmm. of these little fun facts that I picked yeah. up from yeah. from all those things. Well, you know, I I wanted to do an autopsy, and yeah. uh, and of course I I couldn't do it, couldn't go in till I was supposed to be 21 years old, but we won't discuss mm-hmm. how old I was. But um, <laughs> uh, arrangements were made so that I could go in to yeah. see one. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm going like, can I cut that? Let me hold that kid. <laughs> you know, oh, going, God. No, you can't. Yeah, You're not yeah, old yeah. enough. Stand there and shut up and watch. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. But right. I, do, I do like things like that. And, um, yeah. When I was in college, and we had to take all of these tests mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in in helping with counseling students on sure. career advisement and stuff. Right. M- my my tests always came out that I should be in the medical field, and I actually wow. did some illustrations for yeah. um, some medical texts and stuff like that. So, oh, okay. You know, I I, I like 
I like just sitting down and, you know, the other night I was just really frustrated and aggravated, so I watched gallbladder surgery on the computer. <laughs> so, you know, it's very relaxing, very relaxing. It yeah. had a, a yeah. cancerous tumor in it, so it was really good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you see, that's the natural you. It's sort of like it's analytical and specific, yeah. thorough and creative and I guess imagination in a way. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so because those are all the essence of a good artist because they see things beyond that white sheet of paper in front of them. Well, that's true. That's you true. You have to be able to yeah. pull from, like you say, those little computer chips in your memory and things yeah. that you see out to the side. And you look at a yeah. cloud and you see a dog playing with a ball instead of yeah. just a big white fluffy thing. And right. those are the kinds of things that, that help you to become a strong yeah. visual artist. But it's right. when you can create the story that goes around that hand that's, that's right. holding the baby that right. makes you um, a literary right. artist. Right. So, yeah, there's, you know, there's so many different aspects of life. And people, oh, they, we've become so isolated with all of this mm-hmm. computer stuff. We're not involved with one another. We don't right. encourage the exploration of the world around us. Right. Um, kids mm-hmm. today sit down with a computer game or the television or something like that and they don't they're not encouraged to create right. to color outside of the lines to make their own color right. scheme you know um one of the things that I that I learned many years ago was mm-hmm. finding how to find somebody's strong positive color and their negative colors to help them in connecting information to long term memory. Oh and, wow. And um yeah that's that's a big component of the tips, tricks and techniques book. But if you know your strong positive color and you're trying to learn something and you write it would what is your favorite color? Mhm. Personally actually I like purple or blue. All right. Well those are probably fairly even as a, as your strong positives, there's a way to test and mm-hmm. and see what's really good. People who um, will just will just use purple because that's one of yeah. your colors. Right. The first shape that the human body recognizes is a circle. That's the developmental stage of the reptilian brain. That's mm. the brain that you're born with. So if you start connecting things to a circle and then you take in your strong positive color and link it to that circle, and then you put the new information, by the time you get that new information on there, that's your third connection to long-term memory. Mm. So so there, there's a lot of things you can do. By the same token, you see a lot of teenagers dressed in black, right. all of this kind of stuff. Black absorbs energy. Mm. White is it's reflective, but it is all colors. Black right. is the absence of all color. It is the absorption of energy. And what happens is with teenagers that are wearing a lot of black, they're mm. trying to pull in enough energy to be focused and dealing with that stage of their life where they're not a child, but they're not an adult. They're mm-hmm. trying to make decisions, but they don't have the mental maturity capacity to do that right now so a lot of black is pulled in um mm-hmm. during that stage of development so you know there, there's all kinds of things that that we need to encourage people to explore to become stronger in their own person um and not just be isolated with a game or a television or something right. like that right right yeah well i look at that as being Interestingly enough, it's to me what I call a monotone versus mm-hmm. someone who is a creative person, whether they just a single color. You've seen artists that just say use charcoal, right? Uh-huh. To draw and paint and to really express themselves. 
and yet their paintings are three-dimensional. There's mm-hmm. drawing and there's drawing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I understand exactly yeah. what you mean. And then you have people, artists that use multiple colors, yes, mm-hmm. but it's still flat, one-dimensional, versus mm-hmm. someone who uses colors to add depth. It's a three-dimensional mm-hmm. presentation, if that makes sense. Yes, and we need to add more color to add more depth mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. our lives. We really do. Right. We really right. need to encourage that in all all people. Right. right. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. So one of the things, though, that you talk about, I know you love humor. So mm-hmm. why should we look through the lens of humor in life? Well, you know, there, there's a lot of different stages between depression and joyousness. Mm-hmm. And and I think we all float on different levels. And uh, and I and I know I for one struggle with depression. I have all of my life. Mm-hmm. And I have found that using humor not only masks my depression makes you feel better, but it makes me feel better too. And as a, a friend of mine who, who called this morning and we were talking, she said, well, you've made me feel so much better. And I thought, that's my purpose here is to let you release some of that tension and then me to help you find something joyous, something to laugh about, to smile about in mm-hmm. your life so that you can go on. Um, I think that I think we all need to look at at our lives and find the funny things. It's way too easy to be negative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than to be positive. It takes a lot more energy to be positive. To smile, you have fewer muscles involved in smiling, <laughs> but more people frown because mm-hmm. that's easier and gravity pulls you down. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's just important that you know, when I when I walk through the grocery store, and I and I, and I don't really care what people think of me. I'm you know I'm 74 years old. I don't really care. You deal with me or you don't deal with me. It doesn't make yeah. any difference. Yeah. But when I walk through the grocery store, for example, I have a smile, and every time I, I meet somebody, I say good morning, or yeah. good yeah. afternoon, or hey right. there. You know it. It is amazing the number of people who have a frown on their face, <laughs> and when you smile at them and you yeah. say, hey there, yeah. they smile back. And right. isn't that a wonderful thing that you've changed oh, yeah. that negative moment into oh, a yeah. positive one? Definitely. And I, th- I think that's a very powerful thing that we can do for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in in writing, it, you know, I, I write about dumb things. You know, I have letters from the cat. You know, I, um, I, I, I just, you know, recently I had to do a, a program for a group of creative women. The National mm-hmm. League of Pen Women is mm-hmm. the oldest professional creative women's organization in the United States. Mm-hmm. And And I was asked to speak to this group, and I thought, we have professional artists, jewelers, authors, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, what can I do? So I just started talking about going from bikinis to granny panties. <laughs> and, and you know, just let's just look at, like, is, is this evolution, my evolution, yeah. that I have gone from having this great body that is, greatly protected with all this extra adipose tissue because I know somewhere under there is that beautiful body. Mm-hmm. But to to you know, old age, we're graying out, we're 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 dealing with things that people that are thirty years old don't know but will someday. Right. You know, we we spend all of these times exercising kegels and trying to keep bladder control and then you have a baby and it's shot to hell and back, you know? So <laughs> you know, so you just 
you just look at the general aspects of life and you say, what's funny about it? Right, right, right. And, and the, I, I was at a funeral just yesterday, mm-hmm. and this is a man that had grown up with my husband. And um, we, we were all talking and everything, and I thought, this is awful. This is my social life. Mm. Funerals. But what were we doing at that funeral? We were telling funny stories. Mm-hmm. And we were remembering the joyous times of life with this really wonderful man that had passed away. And that's what we need to do with our day-to-day things. Find the little joyous things in our life and and smile because we've got Right. Them. Right. So true. That's very, very true. When you look back in time, as a woman, Mm -hmm. a teacher, a mother, how has the respective roles influenced your writing and storytelling? Well, I get, you know, as a, as a child, as a, as a girl, Mm -hmm. following daddy around and, and, and dealing with things like that, I spent a lot of time with my aunt and, um, we were she was big in, into flowers and gardening and stuff so i was into flowers and gardening and stuff and and as i as i grew up and i met other people i i learned to adapt to the situation that was i could watch my daddy walk in with somebody that had committed a crime and i could be on the other side of the window and in 15 minutes, he had the guy telling his life story and confessing to everything it was. Wow. Daddy held the most solved uh, c- criminal record in the city mm-hmm. of Atlanta for 18 years. So I think I learned from him how to get children and adults mm-hmm. to open up to me. And I utilize that in everybody I see, everybody I meet. And I think that having a child like James made me be a better teacher, Mm -hmm. be a better friend to people with children, a better counselor to people. Mm -hmm. And, well, I just think James made me a better person. I, I, I learned more patience. I certainly learned all kinds of neat things. And how to draw. I learned how to hold snakes. And I no longer <laughs> scream when I see a spider. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have I have mastered a lot of things. And it, I think it's important that I share that with other people. And like I say, it doesn't hurt me to smile at you. Mm-hmm. And if it makes you feel better, well, wasn't that just a wonderful thing? Right, right. And I guess... Somewhere along the line, that beautiful flow you just expressed, that's where gratitude comes into your thought process. Absolutely. We need to be grateful for everything. I, You know, everybody has their own religious beliefs and things like mm-hmm. that, and that's fine. But I have my gratitude. I, I, think, I think God said, you have a purpose. You need to find that purpose, and when you do, you need to apply it. And as I said before, I think my purpose is to be there for people who need me. Mm-hmm. And they they need a place to go. They need somebody that can listen and not be judgmental. Right. Offer help when help is suitable or suggestions when suggestions are suitable. But if I can make them smile, I never let a child leave my office still in tears. Mm-hmm. I, I had I had this big red velvet frog, and it had Mardi Gras ba- beads on him, and he had a little crown. <laughs> and I had a chair, and the old frog sat over there. Interestingly enough, girls would come in. They weren't interested in the frog. They would come in bent over and pulled into themselves. And when they left my office, my goal was for them to be upright and with their their shoulders back and be ready to face what was out there and with a smile. 
when the boys would come in, they're the ones that would pick up that old frog. Mm. And they're the ones that would hold it and play with it. And it, it was filled with those old, like, styrofoam beads, so it was real muddy. Yeah. And they would play with it and everything. And the more they played with it, they, the more they opened up. And, honey, I could tell you stories. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but again, when they yeah. left, and a lot of times they would pat that old frog on the head before they leave. But when yeah. they would leave my office, my goal was they were upright, their shoulders were back, and they were ready to face the next stage in life. And teenage times, that's a hard time in life. Oh, but yeah. it's hard yeah. for all people at some time in their life. And, and if I can, if I can do one thing... Mm-hmm. to make you smile or make you feel like you've left a burden beside the road, then then I've achieved my goal. Right. That's true. So true. Where can someone go to get more information about you and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, I, I have a website, and um, I put my stories. Once a month, I I do a newsletter. And that goes on my website. And the website is www.MsMsRatWrites.com. Ms. Rat Rights. And they can find out all kinds of stuff, or they can send me an email through that, and I will answer them. Um, my books are available on Amazon. Um, I'm part. If anybody is interested in learning more about writing, they can send me a note. I belong to Southeastern Writers Association and also ScribblersWeb.com, where our whole goal is just to help people who want to achieve their goals with writing. And uh, we don't critique. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. We just help you find answers to your questions and and help you with programs that might make sense. Scribblers is free. Southeastern Writers is $35 a year. And if you come to the conference, that $35 is absorbed into the cost. And it is the best conference you'll ever attend. And um, and I say that because I've learned more there than any of the other conferences I've gone to. But they're always welcome to send me a note they can write to me at Ms. M.S., Ms. Rat Writes at gmail.com. And um, like I say, I will answer. I might not answer it the day I get it, <laughs> but I, I will, within a yes. few days, answer their emails. And I'm glad to do it. And if I can help one person, I think, wow, how lucky was I. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. As we close this hour... Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like mm-hmm. to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? You know, I think I think that it is really important for us to find lightness in our life. To we we are all burdened with monetary problems, with children, with aging parents with decision-making, that horrid boss that we have to deal with, all of those things are out there. And if you can sit back and find something light, something humorous, something to make you smile and say, you know what, I can handle this, I can do this, then that's, that's what you, I think that's a, that's a great thing to do. Is just say, I can handle this. His shirt is unbuttoned in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. and I think that's funny. And he is such a stodgy old fool, and he can't even button his shirt. That makes me smile. Whatever it takes, you find it, and you hold it in your heart, and you say to yourself, I am a very powerful, I am a very content and I'm a very capable person. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. 
Marlene, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Wednesday morning, January 3rd, 2024, at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Teresa Velardi. She is a best-selling author, publisher, host of the Conversations That Make a Difference podcast, coach, and a potter. Teresa found her passion and purpose through life's changes while trusting God's plan. Faith, gratitude, and giving are her heart-centered approach to life. Teresa and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, A Daily Gift of Hope, an anthology collection of empowering stories of hope as we kick off the New Year, New Me journey for all of us. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a very blessed season and Merry Christmas, everyone. Marlene, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again. And I wish you, your family, and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas. And the same to you, Johnny. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.